pretty excited about this. And hang with me. Some of these things that we talk about through the series may be a little tough, but they're going to push us up to the next level. How many of you guys want to go to like the next level in your relationship with Christ? Amen. So there's like this one question that every single human being struggles with. And for some people, it's something that may nag you every day and you try to ignore it, but somehow it just, you know, keeps coming up. And here it is. What is my purpose? Why am I here on this earth? Like, does my life really matter? Can my life really make a difference? Am I the only one that's ever thought that? I bet every hand would go up in this room if we asked. And it's not just Christians who struggle with these questions. It's actually everybody in the world. Only here at church, we may phrase it a little bit differently. Like, what's God's purpose for my life, right? And God wants to take every single one of us on a clearly defined spiritual journey. And it can be broken down into three steps. And each of us in here today are going to find us somewhere in these three steps. So here's the first one. Step one, you got to know God. Before anything else, you have to know God in a personal and vibrant way. Like that's step one. You see, Jesus removed the barriers to make this relationship possible. And then the Holy Spirit comes in, in you to teach you who God really is. Because there's a lot of misconceptions about who God is in the world today. And if you want to know God, you got to know the Bible. Because as we've been talking about the last three weeks... The Bible is God. And if you struggle with making the Bible a priority in your life, or if you struggle understanding the Bible, I just encourage you to go on our website and listen to those three messages from the series that we just got out of called It Is Written. They're all on there, nolimits.church, because they're going to help the Bible come alive to you, and that's, that's essential. After you know God, second step is you've got to find freedom. So you've already been forgiven through the blood of Jesus. So the next step is not to get right with God, because that's already been done. You're right with God just because of who Jesus is, not because of what you do or don't do. But now it's the time to find freedom from the stuff that's holding you back. You see, we can't confuse forgiveness with freedom. When you receive Jesus, you receive forgiveness, past, present, and future. It's done. You don't got to worry about it. And you also receive the power for freedom. And some of those things just fall off when you come to Jesus. And other things, you got to work them out alongside the power of the Holy Spirit. So after you find freedom, the next step is you've got to discover your purpose. So once you know God and you've stepped in the freedom that he provides for you, it's time to discover your God-given purpose. Because you know what? He has amazing things planned for each and every person in this room. It's not just me. It's not just Beth. It's not just the worship leader. It's not just the kids ministry leader. It's every person has a specific purpose from God. And that, that's exactly why you have that feeling, you know, like whenever you're just going to work, going home and eating, and then sleeping, and then doing it all over again. Like you feel like something's missing. There's something missing. God has something for you to accomplish in this life. And you know what? Even your wildest dream couldn't, couldn't even compare to what he has for you. You couldn't dream it up. That's what Ephesians 3.20 tells us. That's why we're all looking for purpose, because the inside of us, somewhere deep down in here, knows its potential. It just hasn't made it like up to our mind yet and to our actions. We're not quite living it out just yet. And really, the purpose for your life is not as ambiguous as you might think. It's not like some code that nobody's ever going to crack. It's actually pretty simple. The ultimate purpose for your life is to make a difference. And our culture likes to tell us that life is all about me. You know what? If I can get me happy and fulfilled, then I'll live my best life. Turns out it doesn't work. I don't know if you've tried it out. And the reason it doesn't work is because life is not all about you. It's about those around you. Take a look at this scripture. John 15, 8 says, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. 
You see, a tree doesn't bear fruit for its own enjoyment. At least I've never seen an apple tree eating an apple. I've never seen a pear tree eating a pear. Maybe you have. And if you have, you need to catch that on video so you can post it on YouTube. But a tree bears fruit for the enjoyment of all those who come into its presence. And this is the exact representation of what your best life looks like. You're bearing fruit for other people to enjoy. In other words, going to church doesn't make you a Christian. It's not what you do inside these walls, but what you do outside these walls that makes you a disciple of Jesus. And the Father is glorified by this kind of life. And you know what? That's a great reason to do it in and of itself, to glorify God, right? But it turns out there's a benefit for you too. And if we keep reading, it tells us in John 15, 11, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. It's got, that's God's nature right here. He gives you a benefit for being obedient, even when you don't deserve it. I mean, really, how much obedience do you think it would take to cover up or make right everything that you've done wrong in your past? You probably couldn't even get there. And as soon as you got close, you would do something else that would need to be turned around, right? But thank God we don't have to undo our past or our future mistakes because Jesus already took care of it. So our job is to live our lives for others. That's, that's our one and only job. It's simple. And when we do, we live a life of pure joy. You know, it's funny. When you do things for others, you think it's for their benefit. But it turns out you get a benefit too, and it's called joy. Even when things don't go as planned, our joy will remain. Even when things seem like they're falling apart around us, our joy will remain. But only if we live this kind of life, if we live our life for others to enjoy. So if you're having a joy problem, what do you need to ask yourself? Is my life all about me? And if it is, you just flip it around and start living your life in a way that makes a difference for other people. And it's not that you think less of yourself. You see, there's kind of this idea out there that, you know, if I live the way Jesus wants me to live, then I'm going to be poor and have to let people step on me and, and like all this stuff. But here's the deal. Like, we're not thinking less of ourselves. We think of ourselves less. Does that make sense to everybody? And when you connect with this purpose for your life, which is the same purpose that God has for every single person in this room, your life becomes more than you could have ever dreamed it could be. Because here's, here's the truth. God blesses us so that we can be a blessing. So when you're on mission and you're living your life in a way that benefits those around you, God's blessings, they just kind of start to chase you down. Like you're like, where did that come from? And here's what I mean by God's blessing. It's when he gives you more than what you need to take care of yourself. He gives you in abundance. He gives you more financial provision. He gives you more energy. He gives you more drive. He gives you more passion. He gives you more talents. He gives you more abilities. But this only comes whenever we break away from the me culture and start living for our lives for those around us. Otherwise, these blessings will ruin you. And God knows that. He's pretty smart. He knows what he's doing. So now I want to take you to a scripture where this is God talking to Abraham, and he says, I'll make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. Don't you love that? I will bless you so that you can be a blessing, right? There it is in scripture. Let's keep reading. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So God blessed Abraham. He gave him way more than he needed for himself, and it wasn't just to bless Abraham's family. It was to bless all the families of the earth. That's amazing. But you know what's even more amazing? This same blessing is on each of us. Take a look. Galatians 3.14. Through Jesus Christ, God has blessed the Gentiles, which if you don't know what a Gentile is, that's everybody in this room. If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. That's the simplest explanation. 
with the same blessing. Everybody say same blessing. He promised to Abraham. So the, prob- the promise wasn't just for one man thousands of, ye- thousands of years ago. It's for us today. The same blessing is on you. The same blessing is on me. The same blessing is on this church. We're blessed to be a blessing. And God wants to pour it out. He wants to give you more than enough. He wants to blow you away with the amazing things that he can accomplish through your life. He's just waiting for you to let go of the, well, what about me? So let me show you what I'm talking about. And this scripture that I'm about to share with you guys was actually written to the pastor of a church. This is Paul, the apostle Paul writing to Timothy for Timothy to give instructions to his church. And he says to teach those who are rich in this world, not to be proud and not to trust in their money because it's unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. In other words, don't put your hope in money. It's going to let you down. Has anybody ever been let down by money? You thought you had the most secure job in the world only to find out that your boss was committing fraud and had to go to jail and the business was shut down, right? Things like that can happen. Happen to us. But even when you have money, you got to keep your hope and your trust in God because he will always provide everything that you need for your enjoyment. So did you notice it said that for, for our enjoyment? What? Like, just take a deep breath. God doesn't expect you to live like a nomad with never anything to enjoy. Some of the stuff that he gives you is for you. You see, there's this belief out there that you're only holy if you're poor. Anybody ever heard that? You have to give everything away and maybe even go hungry to serve the God that's more than enough and owns the entire universe. Yeah, it's a bunch of bull. Like you say it out loud and you're like, wow, that doesn't make any sense. But this kind of life is not godly because it usually means all you're focused on is yourself because you can't even take care of yourself. You don't have any energy. You don't have any money. You don't have any time to help somebody else. And how are you supposed to impact others when all you can do is take care of yourself? So God wants you to have things for your enjoyment, but not everything he gives you is for you. So let's keep reading. It says to tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need always being ready to share with others. So when you live this kind of life, when you're rich in good works, when you're generous, when you're ready to share, the reward is crazy. Let's keep reading because he tells us about it. By doing these things, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. So you're sowing seeds for your future. And you're laying a foundation for the kind of life that most people want but never experience. And you're even storing up treasures in heaven. And you'll experience true life in heaven, yes. Everybody knows that. Can't wait for my life in heaven. But I believe, based on this scripture, that God wants us to have true life here on earth. He wants us to have it right now. And it all starts by being ready to share with others. It all starts with generosity. Gallup did this survey several years back and asked the American population, how much money do you have to make each year to be rich? The consensus was... When you make $150,000 a year, then you're rich, according to the American population. But if you ask the people who make $150,000 a year, they don't consider themselves rich because they got school loans to pay and they kind of like have all these bills that are just kind of zapping it away. So they changed the survey and they asked only people who made between $30,000 and $35,000 a year, the same question, how much does it take to be rich? And their answer, when you make $75,000 a year, you're rich. Now, some of you look at that number and think, that's not rich. That's barely enough to pay my bills. But yet to somebody, 
that's rich. And then they did a survey and they asked the people who read Money Magazine. I've never read Money Magazine. Apparently you have to have a lot of money to read Money Magazine. Anybody read Money Magazine in here? Because I want to be your friend. <laughs> right up here in the front. Everybody go see him afterwards. <clears throat> so they asked these people, they said, how much in liquid assets does it take to be considered rich? And liquid assets just means money that they have readily available to spend. And their answer? $5 million. And even still, these people don't consider themselves rich. So here's the bottom line. Nobody's rich, but everybody knows somebody who is. <laughs> so how do we know who's truly wealthy? Here's the simple truth. If you make between 40, 40 and $45,000 a year of combined household income, meaning two incomes combined, you're in the top 1% of the world. Yet if I asked you if you thought you were rich, probably none of you would raise your hand. If I asked you if you thought you were blessed, some of you would raise your hand. You know, all this is evident that by the things that we complain about here in America, it's pretty funny when you think about it. This is actually a conversation that Beth and I have often. It must be tough to live in America <laughs> whenever we make stupid complaints. So here's, here's an example. Man, the internet sure is slow on this airplane that's taking me to my Florida vacation. And some of y'all did this this morning. You went to that room, you know, where your clothes live, and you looked at this pile of clothes, and you concluded, I have nothing to wear. So please know, I'm not saying any of this to make you guys feel guilty, because guilt's not a productive emotion. Guilt will not lead you to make positive change in your life. Actually, I want you to take the guilt off. I want you to just, like, take it, throw it away, and never pick it up again, because here's the deal. God doesn't want us guilty. He wants us responsible. I'm not and never will guilt you into giving to our church. I can promise you that. All I will ever do is remind you that we're blessed to be a blessing. God will always take care of you, and he wants to do more in your life than you could dream of. And all we have to do to live this kind of life is to take the focus off of me. And the reason we need to remind ourselves of this is because human nature and our culture kind of like gravitates us towards selfishness. Like it tells you it's okay. It actually tells you it's something that you should do. Our culture does. TV does. And you know what? It wasn't until I became a parent that I realized that I was selfish. Like I'd been serving in the church, you know, I'd been leading in the church for like six years, no paycheck. Thought I was like the most unselfish person, or at least that's what people told me. I don't know that I ever like gloated in that or whatever. Maybe I did. I don't know. It's not productive to think about if I did or not. But then we had our first kid. And I remember just like kind of sitting. It's like, well, I can't even take a nap when I want to. You know? I can't leave the house when I want to because Beth needs me to stay here and help her with the baby. And like all, all these things. And then one day just like hit me. I was I am so selfish. Like so selfish. And I'm thankful for kids because it kind of ripped that off of me because you don't have a choice to be selfish when you have small kids because they need you and they need all of you. And then you have another one and they need even more of you. And then you ha we have three now. And so every, every kid kind of strips away a little bit more selfishness off of me. You know what? Actually, this fact says it all about human nature. The more a person makes, the less they give. This is kind of true all across the world. Isn't that interesting? Because you, you know Why? Because the more money you make, the more tempting it is to put your trust in your wealth instead of in God. Because when you make barely enough to get by, you don't have an option but to trust God. 
Like that's your only option if you want to survive. But even just as soon as you have just a little bit of wealth, like even if it's just enough to pay your bills, a war is declared on your mind to trust in that wealth instead of trust in God. And if I'm honest, this is a daily battle for me. You see, Beth and I lived with barely enough to get by for many years. And actually, I can remember for five years, I drove this car where the belt squealed, the air conditioner was broken, and had those windows, you know, that you have to crank down. And sometimes the window would fall off into the door. And I would have to take the door panel off and fish the window out and get it back up. For some reason, the, the, air, the heater smelled like cat pee. I don't even know why. <laughs> I even cleaned pools out of this two-door car. I would go load down the trunk with bags of salt because they were all saltwater pools that I cleaned. And like so much so that like it looked like I was popping a wheelie, right? Go down the street, like the back was almost touching the ground. But I was just lucky enough to get up to speed on the highway, much less show off by popping a wheelie. <laughs> and that's without the salt in the car. <laughs> it was kind of hard to get up to speed. So, and now we're, we're blessed far beyond what I could have ever imagined back then. And God's like, I have even more. Are you going to step into it? And the only thing that's holding me back is this battle that's going on in my mind. Are you going to trust in your wealth? Or are you going to trust in God? You see, running a business does not guarantee income. At any point, my online course could just stop selling. And then what? At any point, my clients could decide they don't want my services anymore. Or even their business could go under. And then what? These are questions that plague my mind, and if I give in to those, what I can do is I get stuck and, and even go backwards if I let that spin around too much. Because that's exactly what it looks like to put your trust in wealth instead of in God. Those are the things that you're going to worry about when you put your trust in wealth. Because like we read in the scripture earlier, wealth is so unreliable. And we all know that deep down. All of us struggle with it, but maybe you fear losing your job. Or Maybe you fear starting the business that you know that God's calling you to start because you don't want to get rid of your trustworthy salary. But it really doesn't matter how secure you think that your income is. At some point, at any point, it could dry up and stop. Just like the scripture said, wealth is unreliable. It will always let you down every single time. But you put your trust in God, and he will richly supply all you need for your enjoyment. So much better. Because here's the deal, no matter how much or how little that you have right now, or how much or how little that you make every year right now, God has more, and he wants you to have more. And how do I know this? Is this just, is this just my idea? No. Take a look. 2 Corinthians 9.10 says that God will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. This is what God wants for you. It's what God wants for me. He wants to first provide for your needs, and then he wants to take it on to step two, and he wants to increase it so that you can be generous. The truth is there's no end to his provision, and there's no cap on how much that he has for you. The only person putting a cap is you. Because we just can't forget what the more is for. I think that's the number one cap of provision. What God wants to do in our lives is we put the cap on because we forget what the more is for, we start to think it's for us and only for us. In Jewish tradition, whenever a dad invited, divided his inheritance to his kids, the oldest son got a double portion. In other words, he got twice as much as the other. 
It said right here in Deuteronomy, he must acknowledge the son as the firstborn by giving him a double share of all he has. You know what? I used to think this was just like the privilege of the firstborn. Like they got here first, so they get the double portion. But you better not do that, dad. I deserve the double portion, even though I was number two. But, but turns out it was actually for a reason, and it wasn't that. That son is the first sign of his father's strength. The right of the firstborn belongs to him. So the first son is given a double portion, first of all, to display the father's strength. And then secondly, the firstborn was responsible to make sure that the family was taken care of. And that's what this means by the right of the firstborn. A better translation of that, if you look up the word right in the original text, it actually means judgment. So the judgment of the firstborn. In other words, like the firstborn had a responsibility that the other ones didn't have. He had to take care of the family. If dad died, he not only carried on his dad's name, but he was responsible for making sure that that inheritance took care of the family. Makes sense, right? So this is the exact image that we need to keep in mind as God continues to bless us. Like, we're not blessed because it's our privilege as Christians. We're not even blessed because we showed up to church every Sunday or we gave in the offering every single time. We're blessed so that we can display our Father's strength. And we're also blessed so that we can take care of His children, His family. This is exactly why Jesus gave us these instructions in Luke 12, 48. When someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. In other words, with increased blessing comes increased responsibility. Don't let that scare you. Don't say, okay, I'm out. Because <laughs> it's, it's so easy to get caught up in, in the idea that your job promotion was just for you. Like, so now I can finally get the car that I want, or I can go on the shopping spree, or, you know, whatever your thing is that you're wanting to do. But the more isn't just for you, it's for those around you. And let me be honest, this is not an attack on your character, it's just a reminder I'm simply reminding us all, myself included, that our culture and our human nature is misleading us. Living life all about me will never bring joy. No matter how many things I buy, no matter how many vacations I go on, it will never bring lasting joy. The only thing that brings true joy is when I live my life for others. Am I saying you can't go on vacation, you can't do this, can't do that? No, I'm saying just don't do those things to try to bring joy in your life. If you have a joy problem, you need to ask yourself, is my life all about me? So let's, let's go to the story of Esau in Hebrews 12, 16. It says, make sure that no one is immoral like, or godless like Esau, who traded his birthright as the firstborn for a single meal. So Esau was this guy I talked about in the Old Testament. He was Isaac's firstborn son. And one day he got so hungry that he traded his birthright for a bowl of soup. And it really sounds ridiculous, right? Who would do that? Yet we do that every single day. We trade our right as a child of God just to get a little something for me. We forfeit a greater blessing because all we care about is me. And again, don't waste time or energy feeling bad about yourself. That's not what I'm trying to do here because we're all fighting this battle. And today is simply a call to arms. We're going to do things differently. Just don't live like everyone else. We got to be different. Be one of those people that makes everyone else wonder what you're up to. Like, you know, that person that's like smiling all the time. In Sam's, even when like that person like cuts them off with their grocery cart, they just smile. Hey. Or, you know, whenever they like stand in the doorway when you're trying to get out of Sam's. I don't know if you guys have ever been there. There's like checking their receipt or looking at their cart or something. I'm like, we're trying to get out here. Excuse me. Pay for people's lunch just because. Maybe let somebody borrow your car even when it's inconvenient for you. For you. Like those are weird people, right? Like, what are they doing? And even be one of those weirdos that like gives the first part of your paycheck to your church. Like, who does that? That's so weird. 
Because you know what? I'm 100% confident that if we all followed the instruction that the Bible gave us to give the first 10% of our income, this church would not have one need that went unmet. We would be able to take care of our No Limits family when needs arise. All the impact we would have on our community in Mexico and the Philippines, like it would be unfathomable because we're all getting on the same page and following that instruction. Like we can't even imagine what God wants to do through our church. And the way we get there is to never forget what the more is for. And then we have to come together and everybody do their part. Now, some of you may be like planning your exit strategy right now. Like I am getting out of here before Cade takes up another offering. But I promise you guys, I'm not taking up another offering. Just relax. I just want to encourage those of you who wrestle with giving God the first part of your income. First of all, you're not alone. We've all been there and it's never too late to get started because God has a next level for you. And he may just be waiting for you to transition your trust away from money and transition that to him. One of the best ways to do this is to make your flesh just a little bit uncomfortable by giving that first 10% of your income. And like every time you get a job promotion or something changes, like it gets uncomfortable again. Like I'm not exempt from that. Like I've been giving for the 10% of my income for the last like 12, 15 years, however long it's been. And every time like I've got a new job or like whatever our incomes, I'm like, how much is that going to be? Ah! Like, can I do that? Do I want to do that? But I just do it anyway, even though my flesh is uncomfortable. And that's what keeps me moving along God's journey for my life. But here's something we can never forget, you guys. It's what's in your heart that matters most. Take a look at Isaiah 58.5. It says, you humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance, bowing your heads like reeds, bending in the wind. You dress in burlap and cover yourself with ashes. Is this what you call fasting? Do you really think that this will please the Lord? Do you really think that giving just because Kay told you to is going to please the Lord? Do you really think that raising your hands in worship is going to please the Lord when you do it just so Dylan will shut up? You see, what's being described here is religion. If we're not careful, we'll all fall into the same trap. We show up to church, we give, and we raise our hands when the worship leader tells us to, but our heart's not in it. We get upset whenever we leave church because it didn't meet my needs. They didn't have the creamer that I liked. They didn't have the coffee that I liked. They didn't do the song that I liked. And we kind of go about this thing that it was like church was all about me. I came to church to get my needs met, right? Does this sound familiar? Because it's pretty much the American church culture right now. Like it's kind of like a consumer Christianity. We go to church to get something for me. But let's keep reading because we're actually given the antidote to this behavior. It says, no. This kind of fasting, this is the kind of fasting that I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them and do not hide from relatives who need your help. (laughs) You guys were good with that until I read that last one because we all all have those relatives. (laughs) And that's exactly why he put that in there. (laughs) Cade, why'd you bring that scripture up? I could have gone my whole life not knowing that one. But this is exactly what Jesus told us to do, and he sums it up really nicely into one sentence. John 15, 12, love each other the same way that I have loved you. In other words, we, we help others. We give of our time and finances. We even help those people who have hurt us, and we even help those family members that we don't like. And we do all these things, not out of religious duty, but because we truly want to love like Jesus. You see, your heart's crying out to be more than just a churchgoer. You want to make a difference and you want your life to count. And it's not what you do that satisfies this hunger, that satisfies this hunger. It's actually the heart behind what you do that brings fulfillment and joy. You see, it's amazing, really. 
like when you commit your life to loving like Jesus loves, giving just becomes like this natural response. It's just something you do. Loving those who have hurt you is no longer a struggle. It's all because you know what the more is for. And look what happens when you live your life this way. This is some good stuff. So this is just a continuation of what we were reading in Isaiah. And this is God saying, if you love like Jesus, here's what I'm going to do in return. There's 12 promises listed. Then your light will break forth like the dawn, number one. And your healing will quickly appear, number two. Then your righteousness will go before you, number three. And the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard, number four. In other words, you're going to be protected. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry out for help and he will say, here I am, number five. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourself in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday, number six, and the Lord will guide you always, number seven. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land, number eight, and he will strengthen your frame, number nine. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring who waters, whose waters never fail, number 10. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations, number 11. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings, number 12. In other words, you're going to turn your city upside down for Jesus. You see, God's looking for people who understand what the more is for. He's looking for those who will say no to culture and selfishness and commit their lives to loving like Jesus. He's looking for those who will love like Jesus. And this is something that we're all capable of because the power of the Holy Spirit is on the inside of each and every one of us, guiding us into this and giving us what we need to do that. Because I don't know if you've ever realized you can't do it on your own. So are you going to, all you got to do is make a decision. Are you going to keep living the way you've been living, living for yourself? Or are you going to do things God's way and give it a try. See what happens. See if the joy overtakes you. Because God wants to accomplish amazing things through you. Like I said earlier, earlier, you can't even dream up how big, how great that is. But the only way any of us will ever see this come to pass, the only way any of us will ever live limitless life in Jesus is to love like Jesus. So I imagine that everybody in this room kind of like had a moment in today's message where you were like, yeah, I need to make a change. Maybe you've been living only for yourself and didn't realize it. Hey, we've all been there. Maybe you've been putting your trust in your money or your job and you realize now that you want to put your trust in God because that's way more reliable. Maybe it was the very beginning of this message when I talked about those three steps of a spiritual journey and you realize that you're kind of stuck on, on number two. Like you need freedom from the dumb things that you keep doing every day. Or maybe you're on step one. You know about God, but you don't really know God. And your heart's crying out to know him like the amazing father that he is. And I don't want you to leave today without letting the Holy Spirit do his work that only he can do. You can leave today changed. And all you have to do is open yourself up to what the Holy Spirit wants to do.